RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Tuesday morning here at RCR is our Tech Tuesday, of course, and Stephen Sykes beams in from Christchurch from his Central Command bunker. I hope you get sunlight coming in there, Stephen, somehow. Uh, with the magic of mirrors, you know, anything's possible. And and I'd like to say I don't necessarily beam in because sometimes I teleport. Okay. All right. We've got to get the... Um, but that's semantics really, isn't it? The right description of that. Do you think they'll ever be teleporting now that you've brought it up? Because, you know, you're thinking of those Star Trek things. Well, actually, I read years ago that such technology did get invented, but on a much smaller scale. Right. What's um, that, like sending individual atoms or molecules or something? Something, yeah, something smaller. Um, but of course, trying to transport an entire biological being from one place to another um, and then put it back together in the order from which it was is uh, not for the faint of heart. And when I read about this actually years ago, um, it was, you know, obviously done in a lab, making yep. something disappear from one side of the room and coming up on the other side. Yeah, um, the bit I read about that back in the day was it's like would have to be like a copy and paste, so you wouldn't actually send the physical. But if you think of everything as information in the end, that you do yeah. it like a, I mean, it's one hell of a copy, isn't it? Yeah, what thirty nine trillion cells or something, but uh, and, and kind of do it that way. But how do you copy and paste the consciousness that goes with it? Well, that's you do you do yeah. the. You know the anyway. Maybe one day we'll we'll be to, you'll be able to mansplain that to you can you can do the hardware layer but not the software layer. Yeah, is what you I think what you're saying with in terms of the consciousness, the um, the personality and knowledge that makes up a person. And um, you know, imagine if things get mixed up, like Star Trek. You have um, Spock and and uh, James Kirk arrive, all sort of melded together. You know. Yeah, and, Kirk, and Kirk's got the pointy ears instead. Yeah, yeah, and who knows what else. Okay, well, that's for another day, but it's it's fascinating to think about. Okay, so let's start with items of feedback, communications. What's what's come through? Um, just a few um, small items. Somebody had had an unfortunate purchase with some incandescent bulbs. Um, they were all duds, but unfortunately, of course, that kind of stuff does happen. How, how could they all be all duds? Well, they could just be broken. You know, the filament could be broken. Well, like the which is probably what actually happened is why they were duds because they could have been mishandled and putting them on the shelves. The box they were in could have been dropped. Goodness knows how. Bumpy ride to the distribution yeah. center, something like that. Could have been, yeah. Okay, well, that's uh, everyone being a dud. Yeah, that would um, that would surprise me, but okay, I guess yeah. it happened. It right. does happen. Um, somebody was asking about transferring Bitcoins bought in 2012 to a new wallet. They don't want to use the 12-word password, and our original wallet is discontinued. Well, that's a, it's a big um, uh, question to answer, but basically um, to tackle part of the concern about the 12-word password, I'm afraid I think you're just going to have to do it because as inconvenient as that may seem, the whole idea is to make sure that other people don't get at your Bitcoin wallet. Yeah. And of course, remembering 12 words is um, not straightforward, which is why a decent password manager will do this kind of thing for you. Um, and I can categorically tell you what password manager to completely avoid. And it's all in the name. It's called LastPass. 
It is the last password manager you should ever use because they've been compromised like three times at least. Okay, so, well, that's that, that's fair enough. Um, so don't use that one. Yeah, it's not a good 12, one. 12 word um, password, <laughs> is it? Of course, yeah, like a passphrase, you know, random words. So um, you could easily make one of these up. So like you've got a favorite novel or yeah. whatever, and then you might take the top the top left word on every page or every second page and then make up, construct a sentence, if you like, of random words. And then if you ever forget anything, you just go back to your book and you've got your algorithm there and you can um, find it again. So you, you wouldn't want to use, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> so you wouldn't want to use song lyrics? No. Because that would be <laughs> like <laughs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road verse or something. <laughs> Somebody else would have thought of that. And if That would have been easy to hack, yeah. Well, yeah. they will, it will be now because you've just told everyone. Oh, I, I have to change it, do I? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I didn't realise that, that there were those sorts of passwords available. But I guess if you're protecting yes. your money, um, they have to be difficult, right? It's a yeah. It's kind of a cross. You have to be a. All how right. In, I mean, how inconvenient would it be to have your Bitcoin wallet stolen because you were using some inferior method of protecting it? Yeah. Is it is it like recommended to make it up yourself or to use some sort of random kind of generator? If you can't make up something that's truly random, then you can certainly use. Um, a random generator like that. I know that in the um, oh, I'm forgetting of their company name, which is awkward at a tech Tuesday session like this. Um, they have lava lamps on their office with cameras pointing at them. And if you think of the lava and the lava lamp, how it's all random. Yeah. So they have cameras pointing at it, and that creates true randomness because there's no real true randomness in a computer. Right. But yeah. the, they, um, that's how they use them. Um, I'm going to remember the name of the company any minute now. It's coming. No, it's not. Okay, moving along. Okay, uh, next, please. Yep. Somebody asked about um, card options because um, they're looking at doing travel. Um, that's kind of a finance question, and it's not something um, I've, I've ever looked into. Um, I could possibly have a casual glance at one point, but I think that might be somebody more – orientated towards a um, person with financial persuasion. Um, so that was about it for uh, feedback. Um, so one of the listeners, uh, Anthony, um, forwarded on a article from Australia uh, as reported by Nine News. Um, they've got a couple of uh, people wearing simple exoskeletons um, suits. They just put on... Um, and clip on, and these people that are testing it out, they are doing the work of um, solar installations. So uh, one of the guys said that it's it's roughly feels like it's taking five kilograms of weight off each panel as they're lifting it up. Wow. And, and yep. it um, creates a whole lot of extra support in the shoulders. And when they're doing lots and lots of them, because they are seeing a lot of people are wanting to um, go off grid and have solar um, on their houses, um, it uh, makes for easier work. Uh, why have I got the feeling that that's going to be the next craze, the next thing? Yeah, it probably is because um, the price the price will come down a lot. Um, at the moment, they're about seven and a half thousand uh, Australian um, for one of these. 
Um, but it, but if they, you know, I guess if they save money in um, people having accidents and, you know, the equivalent, the Australian equivalent to ACC, if they even have one, um, then I guess they probably that's, do. Yeah. They probably do. Then I guess that's money saved. It'd be like having an electric bike where it looks like you're getting exercise, but you're not really. Yeah. Well, I think if you move, if you're traveling on an electric bike at a speed that's a little unnatural, you know, it's an electric bike. Well, you know, pedaling up a hill and, and it looks like I, I see them and they're not making an effort. So, yeah. And, very... and, and they're 80 years old. It's like, yeah. not too many 80 year olds have that kind of vitality. But they're feeling virtuous because they're out there. But you can just imagine an exo skeleton, is that what they're called? Uh, yes. Out, you know, out there running. You could sort of go out running in it, and um, it would be a lot less shock on the body if it's, it feels like it's lifting that sort of weight off. Yeah, well, if it's got suspension, <laughs> yeah, that's right. it'll it'll take some impact. I'm telling you, it's the next big thing. I'm telling yeah. you. Okay, you hit it. You hit it here first. Well, okay. maybe maybe first. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting experience um, in the last week with trade me. Oh, what uh, happened there? So couldn't log in for very long. So every time I did, um, interesting thing would be it would ask me to do one of those captures, you know, where you tap on all the fire hydrants or the trees or the cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it would throw me out with an error saying uh, 508 loop detected, which is when a script is running in, um, infinitely um, in a loop. And I thought, yeah. this is weird. So I told Trade me about it, and I never heard from them. And then the problem just resolved itself. And I noticed that if I turned off um, VPNs, so I, I use two, but if I stopped using either one of them and then started using uh, Quad9, uh, use their DNS servers in, instead, then it was all fine. Okay. Then, well, that sort of points to something, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, what's going on here? But I think they fixed it. So everything is fine. Again. Is there any way of you know, doing some reverse engineering thinking on that and approximating what could have been going on? Well, I'd like for them to at least, like, say, well, this is what happened. Yeah. Because knowing what happened is going to be part of our main story for today when we get to it later on. Okay. So one, the, the last bit of news item, which isn't news because it's, like, over a year old, um, but I've just come across it. Probably um, news to me. It could be news to you and a few others. A, there's a university in China. I can't really pronounce it because my Chinese sucks, um, but I'll have a shot. Uh, Ziyuan University um, has written software that allows a swarm of up to 10 drones to operate autonomously and track um, a target through difficult terrain, like such as going through a forest. And the drones can share information about where the target is between themselves so if one of them loses sight of the target, then the others can still map a route and um, keep following them. So if you find yourself getting tracked by a drone swarm, then take a a gun that fires nets. To take them out. Yeah. Or um, if you've got one, um, the U.S. military have trained eagles to attack drones, so take one of those too. Okay, it's like the Russians um, training dolphins to, or or whoever it was, to detect um, explosives under ships. Um, okay, so it seems to me that drones are becoming a real threat. And I think, just quietly, between you and me and nobody else listening, that uh, 
the door is going to swing both ways on that one. Yeah, because the military applications are really obvious now. Yeah. I've seen footage, you know, mainly on X um, from the Ukraine battlefields of, um, you know, drones just dropping explosives right above soldiers, individual yep. soldiers, and blowing them up. And and you can tell they're not even aware that it's coming. Yeah. So, you know, is that the yeah, is that the next thing that we're gonna have to But at the same time you could use them for peaceful purposes, like if you have uh, a plantation. Pizza delivery. Well no, not pizza delivery, but if, if um I know for a long time they've had technology so that if you want to mass plant an area of trees, they have mounted underneath um, an aircraft, a modified gun, a very specialized gun that will fire off seedlings right. and shoot them into the ground. And you just fly over and it, it will um, blanket an area in seeds. And you can do mass plantation of an area real fast. Yeah, no, that's uh, and that's possibly, though, that would take jobs away. It would, but yes. um, that, yeah, that's a nice peaceful application. But you know the because we talk a lot about security and personal information and and privacy and it, it seems to me that uh, drones can completely strip that away from people really they can but of course um at the same time i don't think it's something we should be afraid of because there's always a way to push back like the net gun <laughs> the net gun um there's other weapons out there where you can um cause a drone to deauthenticate from the from the host uh, which causes it to um, get lost. Right. Okay, yeah. You, you you can interfere with them. Okay, but having swarms of them talking to each other, autonomous, wow. It's just the usual cat and mouse game that we've been playing for centuries. It's kind of like um, that scene in The Wizard of Oz where the flying monkey's coming. Yeah, it is. It is a bit. Yeah. All right, anything else to talk about before we get on to the main stuff? No, we're on to the main stuff now. So, um, Is this the I, mansplaining that you promised? Yeah, although I think, to be honest, I'm going to suck at mansplaining, so I'm just going to explain it. Just It'll probably to... still sound like mansplaining, but okay. It could do. So I'm going to explain about or, um, denial of service attack. Right, DDoS. Now, this, um, well, DOS and then DOS. DDoS. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, what, yeah. One leads to the other. So okay. with a denial of service attack, basically um, when two computers talk to each other on a network, it's one, send, one sends the message to the other and it might say hello and then is the message and then the receiving computer sends an acknowledgement back so the sending computer knows that the message got um, delivered. Okay, so it's just an acknowledgement. Like, hi, how you doing? Acknowledge. Is and that called a, hand, a handshake? You do do a handshake. That's part of it. There's a 14 layer in the um, operating, uh, what's the, the OSI model. Um, but in simple terms, yes, there's a handshaking that happens at the hardware layer on a network, but then there's other things that happen on a software layer too. Right. So then the receiving machine um, sends the acknowledgement and then it decides what it wants to do with the hello, how you doing message. And it might go, yep, um, everything's um Hip fidelity here. How you doing? And then sends that message back, and then the first computer sends an acknowledgement saying it got that one. 
Now, with the denial of service attack, the attacking computer sends a message to the victim, but it forges the return address. So the victim receives the message, Mm. but it can't send an acknowledgement back to the attacking computer because the address is forged, it is fake, it doesn't exist. Okay. The, the acknowledgement can't um, can't be transmitted back. Now, eventually, the victim machine will give up after a few seconds. Like, okay, this message isn't getting through. I'm not going to sit here and twiddle my virtual thumbs forever. I'm giving up. While that's going on, the attacking computer sends another request like it, and another one, and another one, and another one, oh, and another uh, one. Yeah. And it keeps hammering it, hammering it, and hammering it. Now, the victim will eventually start getting overloaded. This is a bit like when you get too many emails to deal with and you can't keep up with the emails coming in um, with the speed that you reply. And at the same time... You've just reminded me of something on Candid Camera where the guy has to pack cakes coming off a conveyor belt. It's okay in the first minute or so, but then he screws one or two up, and before you know it, you've got this big pile of cakes just blobbing out everywhere because... Can't keep up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Carry on. No, no, it's, it's a good analogy. So um, while this attack's going on and the victim is waiting for all of those timeouts to expire, it only has so much network capacity and memory capacity to deal with all these fake connections. At the same time, all the valid connections when people are trying to web browse to a site or do email or whatever, they can't get through because it's hung up trying to deal with the uh, fake ones. Hence the denial. Yeah. Hence the denial of service. Now, um, things get a little bit bigger when you have a distributed denial of service attack. Now, what makes it distributed is when you don't just have one computer doing the attacking, you have lots. Uh, okay. Because on the receiving end these days, you don't tend to have one server responding on on a website, you tend to have a few because they share the load. Yeah. So you need to have a, a big onslaught um, of in your arsenal. Um, hence, distributed denial of service attack. So, so to do that DDoS attack, how yeah. many um, in the in the big you know at big scale, how many attacking computers could there be? We well, should probably want to get a few hundred and. Wow. That's it sounds harder than it really is because anybody can hire such computing power so long as they have a credit card. Because you just okay. yeah. you just you just hire the computing power from a cloud provider. Uh, get it get it to get it to run some software and so it's not as if you need to have a cupboard loaded with PCs or no, okay. Yeah, because I mean if you did that, then eventually you you just stop uh one connection. But if it's coming from multiple places at one time, then that's much harder to deal with. So it's easy to do. You just need to write a bit of. Um, you you can get such software if you know where to look. Okay, so yeah, there by the grace of God, we all go then. So if, if you're targeted, good luck. Not much you can do. Well, there are um, software layers on the internet um, and the company whose name I still can't remember who I talked about last time um, have systems in place that they can detect when a denial of service attack is occurring. 
and completely block that network. So they would block the address that it's coming from, would they? Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, th- this this um, connection attempt is um, looking a little nasty, so we're just going to talk to the hand. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for explaining that because that was very well mansplained because um, now I know exactly what that is. I, I kind yeah. of had a grasp of it, like it was like incoming, too much to handle. Yeah. But now, now I can sort of visualize what's going on. Yeah, just think of cakes off the conveyor belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so does that that sorts defining that out? Does it? I think it does. Yes. So I I wanted to tell a story, um, which has a, I guess it has more uh, sense of moral values, but a, a several takeaways from it. So this is about, and this includes a denial of service attack. So back in, um, this is a story where. Um, in 2011, Sony's PlayStation Network um, got taken down. Uh, millions of s- subscribers lost their accounts for um, a month. Yeah. And during this time, 171 million US dollars was lost, and a whole new host of regulations and online online commerce came about. So this all started um, not with the PlayStation not even with Sony. It started off with a, a young fellow by the name of George Hotz, H-O-T-Z. His uh, online name was GeoHot. So in, in June 2007, April, not April, Apple released their iPhone. Mm-hmm. Now, in the USA, the big issue with this was that if you wanted to use an iPhone, you needed to be a subscriber to the AT&T network. Now, uh, George um, is a bit of a genius um, who was known for running circles around his seniors and a bit of an accomplished engineer. Decided that um, this wasn't going to, this wasn't, this wasn't right. He felt uncomfortable about this, and he didn't want to give up his affordably priced T mobile plan. Right. Okay. So, That's what motivated him. Okay. Yeah, so that, and he also has a bit of a rebellious streak to go along with his insatiable thirst for curiosity. How this old was this This chap? 17, 17 at the time. How do they get so smart so young? Well, he's just born curious. His oh, father yeah. his father said that he had an, a knack for pulling apart appliances all around the house when he was younger just to find out how they worked. Curiosity, that's... Just curiosity, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and then so of course you know what's any teenager going to do when you're told that you can't do something? Um, you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So he hacked the iPhone. He overrode the baseband processor with another chip and wrote a bit of code to get the phone to work with any phone carrier at all. And he did this in less than three months. He reverse engineered the iPhone. Gee. And what would any self-respecting teenager do? Do you think? They'd tell everyone about it. Yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd boast about it. They'd boast about it. So Steve Jobs was unusually quiet or didn't say a great deal about it, but his co-founder, Steve Wozniak, thought that uh, George was very creative and not a criminal at all. And you want to hire the guy. You want to hire the guy. He's a genius. And basically praised George for his efforts. Um, and a lot of people thought that, um, George was actually doing Apple a favor because then people might be more inclined to buy an iPhone yeah. if you could use it on any network. Yeah, true. So um, after a while, he eventually landed a job at Google for a few months, but he got bored out of his tree. 
and went back home to New Jersey and he really found a package waiting for him, which was a PlayStation 3. Um, so oh. he he announced on Boxing Day, December 26, 2009, that since the PlayStation 3 had been on the market for over three years, it was unhacked and it was time for that to change. There we go. So at this point, um, gaming consoles were considered an appliance. They're not a general purpose computer. They're just built for the purpose of playing games and that's it. Yeah. So um, George had created a program that was only about 500 lines long. And after five weeks work, he'd managed to um, crack it. So he managed to get in through the PlayStation 3's other operating system feature where you could install other things like, like Linux. And in fact, the US Navy um, only they were at the end of the at the end of all of this the only place allowed to use the PlayStation Three for this purpose because the cell processor was very good at um, complicated computational tasks. Okay. Yep. Um, I remember for work um, buying one not to play games on, but to run Linux on. It was quite funny when buying it from from Dick Smith. Um, at the time, and the guy in the shop says, oh, you want to buy some games? Because, you know, you, you bought a yeah. PlayStation, you yeah. want to play some games, right? And I go, oh, no, I'm not going to play games on it. And that, that got a raised eyebrow. Like, I bet. I bet. <laughs> what the hell? What the hell? Exactly. Yeah. So um, so basically, um, George called his, his bit of code um, Finnegan's Wake, and he distributed online for others to copy, which took the PlayStation 3 away from being a license, but basically into a general purpose computer, which allowed other people to write their own software. Okay, now, yeah. Un- unlike Apple, Sony did not be qu- did not remain quiet. They pushed out a software patch that took away the other operating system feature, which means you couldn't run Linux anymore and his, his, um, his patch didn't work anymore. And users were pretty grumpy about it. And whether... George liked it or not, he became the public face. And then he ended up being doxxed. Now, doxxed is a term when um, somebody publishes all your personal information online for everyone to see. So then George, not willing to be um, stopped, in um, January 2011, he created another patch that reversed Sony's patch to get control back, which took him... A mere 10 minutes. Sony should have thought of that. No, it gets worse for them. Um, At the time, George had made it publicly clear that he didn't endorse or condone pirated video games um, because that was was something he he was quite clear that he wasn't endorsing and that wasn't his motivation for doing that. It was more the fact that here's a machine which is capable of so much more, but the way it's made, it's intentionally... um, uh, I was going to say cobbled. Um, yeah, mind you, so, if the, if the so US more. if the US military was using it, then that kind of muddies that water a bit, doesn't it? It does a bit. Yeah. Um, so then, later in, in January, Sony launched their legal team on George. For viol- from their point of view, he was violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act and um, copyright infringement. So. Basically, um, things were getting pretty hot now, and Sony were basically saying that if you were going to buy a PlayStation, that you used it as we sold it, and you don't screw with it, you play games, if you try and do anything else, we're going to come after you. And that's fair enough. 
But at the same time, hacktivists said that it was an attack on the First Amendment and research professor of computer science David Toretsky of Carnegie University called it an assault on free speech, saying, saying that Sony was attempting to use a digital copyright millennium act to deny computer scientists the right to speak about technical details of Sony's products or any product at all. I mean, if you think about it, if you... If you go and buy a tin of pineapple from from Dole or whoever, they don't come and kick your door and the moment you go and try and put pineapple on a pizza, like, you're not putting pineapple on the pizza. It's not for that. Yeah, no, I sort of get that. But, you know, if you invent something and create it, I mean, how much control and ownership over, over that thing should you have? We should certainly have the right to repair for starters, well, and <laughs> and 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 at the same time, then, I mean, this story gets worse and worse for Sony, much well, worse. Okay, well, and, and and we'll get to that. But the um, and my thoughts just falling out of my head. It'll come back. It must be one of those days. Yeah, but so, uh, it's all about um, property rights, isn't it? Well, they he wasn't actually stealing anything, but. Because the legal team okay, did feel yeah. that they were trying to protect their IP and consumers as well, and but George didn't see it this way, um, and he said so on G four. Um, G four is basically the equivalent to CNN, but for gamers. Okay, yeah. So he he made it clear publicly his intention with everything. Maybe Sony should have just said, "Hey George, how much do you want?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he was he was more about the freedom of the device, right? More altruistic in his uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you think about it, in fact, that thought did come back to me. It was more like most people would want to use a PlayStation just to play games, and that's it. Yeah. So, so this this is making a mountain um, out of a molehill because only a few people would be interested in doing this kind of thing with their PlayStation. For everyone else, like, I just want to play games. That's it. And I'm picking, and we'll get to that as you sort of go through the story, but if Sony had taken a, a, a kind of a different attitude, it probably wouldn't have ended up as the train wreck it ended up being. Oh, yeah, and the, the, the train wreck is just starting at this point. Okay. So, <laughs> Don't let me stop you. <laughs> so um, Sony was granted a restraining order by the courts, which forbid George to publish any future hacks. Then they started getting real um, dirty. They um, subpoenaed Bluehost, Twitter, Google, YouTube, and George's internet provider, and the site George used to um, blog all about his, uh, shall we say, conquests. Um, they also went after anybody who um, downloaded George's hack, viewed it, liked his content, and as far as Sony was concerned, they were just as guilty as, as George. Wow, Okay. Yep. So that's quite a big overreach, and it stunned the world. But, hey, the courts made it legal. Then things got real, real bad for Sony. Now, you've more than likely heard of the group Anonymous. Yep, I have. Yep. So they were angered by um, the way Sony were dealing with this. And then Anonymous made a, a threat on uh, – and then hours later, um, it was a public threat. Hours later, on April the 4th, 2011, they took down Sony's website, sony.com, and the PlayStation 
network using a distributed denial of service attack. Okay, and we know about that now. And we know what they do, yes. Um, a YouTube video that Anonymous created told Sony to leave George and others um, al um, alone, otherwise there's going to be more stuff to come. At this point, George gets a bit worried because he fears that Sony might think he's anonymous. He's the anonymous um, perpetrator, shall we say. Even though George categorically said, I am the opposite of what anonymous stands for. I mean, if you think about it, George was very open and publicized everything he did. He, he was clearly keen for the attention. Well, anonymous don't do that, do they? Well, it's there in their name. It's in the name. It's all in the name. Anonymous got so personal about this with Sony that they doxed executives and published um, family members' names and addresses. Oh, dear. Now it's getting out of control. It's getting out of control, and some wanted to even involve the judge um, that made certain That's... court rulings. It's getting really dirty. <laughs> yeah. Really dirty. Um, and then by this point, on April 11, 2011, George agreed with Sony that, yep, I'm not going to go touching a PlayStation. I'm not going to hack it. I'm not going to publish anything of that nature again. He's basically bowed out. Because it's getting too too intense, too too it, crazy. It became bigger than he ever thought it would be. Yeah, a monster. And I, mm. and I think much bigger than Sony or anyone else thought it was going to be. Yeah. So the legal proceedings kind of stopped, but Georgia's supporters kept going. Uh -oh. so, a couple, so a couple of days after that, Anonymous released another video calling for a protest of Sony, which Sony closed some of its retail shops in the UK and some even had cops out the front. But nothing happened. There was a bit of a fism. So a few days later, Sony noticed in their San Diego office that their servers had kept rebooting by themselves without authorization, and that kept going for another two days. And <laughs> after, after those two days, Sony then realized, well, I think we're being hacked here. This is, this is not so good. Do you so think they, they sat around too long? They sat around too long, and the fact that they did this um, is we get to when we eventually get to the conclusion of the story, um, you will see how Sony sort of got punished, yet not punished at the same time by the authorities. Um, so a couple of days after that, Sony realized that, yep, they'd been um, attacked, and they shut down their PlayStation network, which means that no one could make any payments. Oh, there were yeah. 77 million accounts containing names, addresses, and potentially credit card data as, as well. And this attack had continued for three days. 77 million. And Sony kept quiet. They didn't tell the public what was going on. A couple of days later, Sony finally admitted that there was an external intrusion but failed to mention the data breach few days later after that, Sony did tell their customers that their credit card data could be at risk, but they didn't, couldn't find any evidence of theft. When you say couldn't find, when they say couldn't find any evidence, I mean, would, would you expect to be able to find the evidence? If certain databases had been compromised, copied, then that would be evidence enough. You could see that that had happened, could you, usually? It, if logs hadn't been erased, um, if you were able to um, um, find evidence that it was, but at the same time, um, 
some people are very good at covering their tracks. Yeah. So to say there's no evidence isn't really a good uh, explanation because you can't take it to the bank. Well, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Yeah, yeah. So no matter how Sony tried to play this, um, this the news by itself hurt Sony. Their shares dropped day after day. Vesta's lost confidence in the company. And now, after they had chased uh, George, the shoe now was on the other foot because a class action suit got um, put against Sony because they failed to act and protect the customer's data and they wanted compensation and free credit card monitoring just in case credit card information had got um, compromised. Yeah. And that would come to light if there was sort of like um, un unauthorized purchases on your cards, the only way you'd know, wouldn't it be? And it would have to happen at scale and you need to marry them up with people that were also um, account holders on the PlayStation Network. Right. So now we get into May. PlayStation Network was still offline. Middle of the month, it had come back online for some people, um, but they were restoring the, the services country by country. So some would have got access um, before others. Now, after 23 days, the nightmare for customers had ended, but that still went on for Sony because now the US Congress got involved. <laughs> so yeah. a, a subcommittee was launched, an investigation, and their concern was mainly Sony's lack of action leading up to the attacks. I mean, after all, Anonymous did say, hey, if you don't back off, we're going to come after you. So Sony could have, you know, taken that um, alleged threat serious and prepared themselves, but they didn't. That Sony still maintained the credit card data wasn't compromised, but they couldn't say the same thing about passwords. Now, this is when credential stuffing, I don't know if I ever mentioned credential stuffing. No, I don't recall you have. Okay, so credential stuffing is when if you can get someone's data out of a compromised system, like names, email addresses, and passwords, then you go running around with that information to see what other things you can log into. So oh, if, you're okay. yep. if you're able to obtain an email address and a password out of a system, say PlayStation Network, you go, right, can I use this to log into someone's Gmail account? Because if they say they use a Gmail address with the PlayStation Network, then obviously... So they've got a Gmail account, and then you try out that password to see if it gets you into the Google, um, their Google account as well. Yeah. So now you've taken over their Google life and anything they've put in there. And then, Boy. okay, let's try Facebook. Let's try TradeMe. Let's try eBay. Let's try Instagram. Let's try a bunch of other systems. And, and see you can what bet we can... many times it works. Oh, yeah. This is why you need to have separate email addresses or aliases for multiple accounts and then go an extra step and have different passwords. Because if you can do that, you'll avoid or minimize the risk of this thing happening to you. Yep. So okay, so when the Congress gets involved, that's where they can have hearings and call witnesses. Yes. And you're under oath and you've got to go and, well, you know, answer questions. Front up and explain yourself. The last thing you would want, probably, if you were Sony. Yeah. But you see, even, I mean, that was in the US, but in, in the UK, the British Information Commissioner Office 
found that Sony was guilty of their Data Protection Act 1998, saying that data was their stock and trade and they messed it up, that they were fined a mere measly £250,000. Oh, that's nothing for them. It's, it's nothing. And then and then Sony tried to kiss and make up by giving customers a free month subscription and a choice of two free games to download, but it was a, a limited selection. So if there was a favorite game you wanted that you couldn't quite afford, it might not have been one that was on offer. Gosh, they, they kind of didn't get the message fully, did they? No, they even, didn't. Even at that point? No, they didn't. Bare minimum all the way. Okay. But And then after another three months, Sony you know, got customers back, and despite all the wrongdoings by you know, from the point of view of various government bodies, they've, you know, found themselves to be in hot water with. I don't see evidence that they necessarily learn from this. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, if they had just said, oh, someone's hacked the PlayStation, they could have worked with George. They would have avoided all this attention. Yeah. And they could have ended up making a better product. And at the same time, as I said earlier, most people just want to play games. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a like an an arrogance, over the top arrogance. Yes, it's it's, it's like thou shalt not um, meddle with the um, affairs of Sony. Yeah, they've always been a walled garden kind of operation, though, haven't they? So, like yes. Apple, and and walled gardens is not my thing personally. Do you think it's got anything to do with the culture of the of the country where where it originates? Um. I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Yeah, uh, it's probably just the culture of the company, but I don't know that that's necessarily, you know. I wonder if heads rolled in, you know, in the back rooms. Yeah, it's one of those flies on the wall scenarios where you'd just really love to know what kind of conversations did happen. Okay, so, all right. So, what do we get up to? Twenty eleven, twenty twelve, somewhere around there. Yep, and and that's the conclusion of the story, really. So, I think there's a few things that um, you know. There's many takeaways, I think, in that. Don't make mountains out of molehills. Yep. And you really need to take responsibility for your own information, um, and not necessarily entrust others with it. Which means doing simple things like having multiple email aliases or email accounts for that matter and manage your passwords appropriately because just be, you know you'd think that a massive company like sony would have had appropriate protections in place but even government authorities decided no they didn't i wonder why that was maybe they thought it would never happen to them Maybe yeah. there is um, a bit of arrogance with the culture. We are Sony. I don't know. We're masters just... of the universe. No one could ever. Um, because that, that was such an if they yeah, if they've dealt with George properly from the get go, none of that would probably have ever have happened. Yeah, I mean, because anonymous that, uh, wouldn't have come into the picture. Could, yes, um, if 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 Apple had responded in a similar way to Sony, there you go. Yeah, then maybe. That'd be the ones having a problem. Yeah, different culture again. Because you can imagine, I mean, 
I only know about Steve Jobs from watching interviews with him in those presentations he did, but I imagine he would have admired George. Yeah, I mean, he, he admired the iPhone and he really wanted one, just didn't want to give up his... But but the thinking, you know, the... the yeah. um and, and, and the sort of... Um, the chutzpah, whatever the term is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought that was a that was a fascinating story. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Tech story time. <laughs> well, I suppose there might have been people out there thinking that, you know, a story could have involved something out of a golden book, like the, the literary caboose. Or, oh, I remember those, yeah. Or or, or maybe um the munch bunch. Or the ones that um Tinkerbell used to wave the wand to turn the page, you know. Oh, you mean make the chime? Yeah, zing, <laughs> zing. And there would have been Kiwis caught up in that uh, Sony thing for sure. Oh, yes, this would have been international. Yeah. In fact, I'm curious enough, anyone listening, um, if they feel like giving some feedback as to how things were from their perspective. Okay, well, that's a good idea. If, if, if they were affected and, and how and what kind of communications, if any, they received. And just a number back then, what seventy-seven million accounts? Imagine yeah. the, you imagine the, the the earnings involved there, yeah, from that product. Oh yeah, I mean, like with um, usually the case with gaming consoles, they sell them at a price point they think it'll sell for, while at the same time trying to be competitive with their competitors. Yeah, they lose money selling them, but they gain the money back. By selling games, yeah, was well, like selling the printer and and dicking everyone on the cartridges. Yes, forever in a day. Yeah, a couple of cartridge right. um, rotations, and you've already paid for the printer for a couple of printers. <laughs> well, for a time, um, you could. It was cheaper to buy a whole new printer with ink than yeah. it was to buy the cartridge yeah, to buy good. replacements. Incredible, which was crazy. All right. Well, that was a really interesting Tech Tuesday. Thank you for that. You're totally welcome. And we'll do it all again in a week, shall we? You've you've got to you've got to come up with a better one than that. Now that's a challenge. Oh, we'll see what happens. Anything can and will happen. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.